Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Hey guys, just got a question from Paul. He says, I love all things onion. Onion bagels, onion rings, even onion cereal. Sounds disgusting. But sometimes I get self-conscious about how my breath smells. Help me. Is there a way to check out my level of onion breath? First thing, Paul, you need to stop eating onions. And second, I'll try to tackle this one. Step one, lick your wrist. Step two, wait 10 seconds. Step three, smell. There you go, Paul. Send. Well, hello everyone. My name is Pastor Todd. I am so excited that you were able to make it today. And here's the deal. We are going to keep going through our Life Hack series. And this series has been all about how to simplify your life because we complicate it. As human beings, we can take a simple concept and then go like, oh, if we do this, we do this, we do this. And then by the end of it, we're like, I think we made this more confusing. And so my focus today is money. Now, if you don't think we complicate money, then maybe you have not been leading your own budget well, okay? Because <laughs> it is complicated. And if some of you are just going to like, nope, I do great, I am perfect, just look at these stats, okay? Because this is just the debt that is going on in America, all right? So total national debt, just above $13 trillion, that's trillion, and then if you just look at the average household, credit cards, mortgage, look at this. The average household, 133568 The average credit card, and this is like just per family, per household. You think about this, 15983 Average mortgages, $178,037. Average auto loans, $27,755. And then student loans, $47,047. That's the average. Now, you take a look at those numbers. This is pretty much what it says about America. We have a lot of debt. <laughs> and here's the normal piece of it. We're used to that. It's just kind of a normal part of life. It's not like we enjoy debt, but it's just kind of one of those things. It's like, well, I, I want to buy a house, and I can't have all the money right now, so I'm going to go into debt for it. Um, and, and I understand this. Debt is, there's some necessary things to debt. 
I know for me, when I went through college, it's not like I could start off and pay for all four years of college. <laughs> I wish, but that was not the case. And so you take on some debt, housing debt, the same deal. But if you look at this, there's some unnecessary debt. Like if you look at some of the credit cards, you look at some of the, the auto loan credit, all those kind of things, you're kind of looking like, you know, maybe not all of this is necessary. But in America, we kind of go, hey, I would like this now. And the great thing is, is we've got ways to do that. That is taking on debt. And so it's just become a normal part of our lives. We just walk around just saying, yep, that's just what we do. So the question I have is, is there another way? Is the way we do things, is that the best? Because I think Jesus speaks to a different way. And I want us to start looking at that tonight. And so look at this in Luke 16, 9 through 12. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? These are pretty strong statements by Jesus. And almost kind of getting at this point, he's like, hey, how you handle your resources, how you handle your money also has impact into heaven. What you do with it matters to God. It's a huge deal to him. And even at the beginning, he's saying, hey, all your possessions, I want you to use it in a way to help others, benefit others. To where at the end of your life, you're going, all the possessions are gone. And so it's a pretty fascinating like, verse because it kind of goes against some of the culture that we saw at the beginning. The American culture is like, hey, if you want stuff, go get stuff, leverage debt, do whatever you need to, to enjoy life, bring about happiness. And so we kind of have to look at this and go, all right, all right, Jesus, what are you getting at? Where are you coming from on this? Because there's, I think, two principles that you've got to understand that is coming out of Jesus' teachings, because this is what he would have understood. He would have recognized this is true in my life. And it would have been true for most Jews. They would have understood this is reality. Because for us in America, it, that may not be the case. We may not see it this way. So we need to understand these truths so we can understand why Jesus is teaching in this way. So here's the first one. God owns everything. Owns it all. Now to give you just kind of this theological picture that Jesus is teaching from, recognize that Jesus was there at the beginning with God when all of earth was created. And he has watched it all the way through. And so for him, he comes down to earth and starts interacting with people, and he has this concept. He goes, no, 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 hear me. God owns everything. <laughs> I've seen it all. He made it all. Even the things that you maybe have created on your own, recognize that God gave you the ability to do that. And so we've got to put this in our context to where we go, okay, that means our cars, our houses, our phones, everything is God's. All the money we make is God's. See, that's where Jesus was teaching from. He goes, everything I have, everything you have in this world is God's. Because look, this comes from the Bible as well. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. 
for he laid the earth's foundations on the sea and built it on the ocean depths. Just adding to this point of saying, okay, God owns it all. And so the thing to wrestle with is, is that how we treat resources? Is that how we treat our money? Because if that's a truth, then this next truth is equally as important, that every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Now, you may, some of you may <laughs> just be thinking, like, wait a minute. Does that mean when I buy a piece of gum, it's a spiritual decision? Some of you are already trying to break this down. You're like, no, 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 no. But look at it this way. Every owner of a business, when there are big decisions being made about a business, money is being discussed. We're going to spend money on this. We're going to do this with the resources we have. Every owner wants to be involved in those conversations because they want to know, how is my business running? How is it going? Is this the right decision? So if God owns everything, then this is reality. This is true. Because what he's pointing out here is we're just stewards of it. God gave it to us all and simply said, I want to give you this, and I simply want you to steward it. I want you to take care of it. I want you to manage it. And so now every decision we make, we have to be thinking, okay, this is going to affect what God thinks. This affects the relationship that we have. So that way we can begin as like, okay, if God owns everything, then I am simply the servant to where God, you've given me this, this is amazing, I don't even deserve this, but I want to steward it well. Remember, this is Jesus' perspective on things. As he's teaching from those scriptures, he is literally going, this is his perspective on life. And so that's why he said these words later on in his teaching. Look at this. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He's almost hitting it as like, hey, these two perspectives that he knows exist in the world, the one where you're going to focus on culture, or maybe it's your own view of money. He goes, if you're not careful, these things will start to com just compete against each other. And one is going to win. You can't let the both of them coexist. You either believe God owns everything, or you're saying, nope, I have done this on my own, or I get to do whatever I want with the resources I have. Because as a Christian, here's the, if you believe in God, you can't say, God owns everything. I believe that. But I get to do whatever I want with the money he's given me. That contradicts itself. And so that's why I think we sit in this tension where we go, okay, culture is telling us this, but God is telling us this. I, I know for me, I had to wrestle with this even recently, where I could tell that there was just change in my mindset. There was just this temptation to go down a road that I know I shouldn't go down. So we had our third kid, her name, Avery, and we had her a year and a half ago, but I remember sitting and going, man, we've got three kids now. That's five people in our family. Like, this is crazy. And before that, I had never thought about our house, never thought about how big it was. I was very content just about where things were at. And then Avery comes along, and all of a sudden, I get this thought, our house isn't big enough. Like, we don't have enough bedrooms for everybody. Like, this isn't, 
I don't like this. This does not feel, I, I think I need to go bigger. And I could just tell, it's like this all of a sudden became like, oh, we're going to need this. We need this bigger house. I remember talking about it with my wife, Tina, and she was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Like, it, uh, and I'm just sitting here going like, yes, like, I need that. And it's crazy to me because I was like, I think we could do this. I started looking at finances like, yeah, we could pull this off. We could do this. We could make this happen. Be a little bit tighter. But we can make it work. And this will be great. But then it was kind of like over time, as I kind of sat on it more, God started speaking to me like, do you really think it's a need? Or is it just something you want? And I begin to wrestle with this more because I think that's what happens so much. Just as life circumstances change, and we all kind of change what used to be thinking, something we didn't think about, it was just a, oh, that would be cool someday, or want, now has become a need, and I go, we need that. And so we'll do whatever it takes to get that. And my perspective of going, God owns it all, simply became this, like, I need this right now, God. I need this to change. We need this. And God was like, no, you don't. Eventually, he had just the honest conversation, no, you don't. And the reality is, he said, what you're doing is you're taking what you think is a need, and you're actually being pretty greedy about it. You're needing just more. And that's what I think has kind of happened with the danger with this culture perspective, is that there's always this competition for more, always this desire for more. And so here's what I think becomes dangerous, is that greed becomes masked as a need. You think about how marketing works, advertising works, and all of a sudden you're looking at these shoes and you're going, I need those shoes. I love those shoes. I can't afford them right now, but I can find a way to afford them. I'll put it on something. My family needs this vacation. For me, I, we need this bigger house. And we can make it work. We can do things. But the problem is, is then we get things tighter and, and then we, if something ever goes wrong, we're in a mess. And if we look at these two ideas that are going on, God's way would say, I don't think you need that. And I actually would say, if you do that, you may create more stress on your life and you may be creating more problems than you realize. Jesus spoke to this again. Uh, look at this, these words. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And I was like, ooh, is that me, though? Do I measure my life about, by how much I own? Have I been caught into that temptation? Is that where I'm at? Because the reality is you're going to be wrestling with these two concepts. And here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. Because if you believe in God and God owns everything, then the role that you put yourself in is that I am the master of my money. I steward it. I lead it. And I'm going to learn to live wisely and I'm going to be generous. That's what Jesus teaches. The other option begins to where money starts to master us. We get caught in debt. We start doing things our own way, and then we look and go, well, how did it get this messy? What's off? So the question is simply this. Do we master our money, or does our money master us? Because the life hack today is I want to simplify things, but before we do that, we've got to answer this question. 
Because I could explain to you all about, hey, here's what you got to do. Here's the steps. Here's all of that. But if you don't wrestle with that question first, then the knowledge that comes, all those kind of things that come out of this conversation may not be helpful because your heart may not be where it needs to be. You may have this misunderstanding of things. And so that's why I say wrestle with this question first. So then we can get into how to master your money. How to simplify these things. Because that's why I want us to get, I want money to not be as complicated as we make it. And I think God gives us some great wisdom into it. And if you want a great resource of just kind of like, how do I do this? How do I live this out? There's a book called Master Your Money. The author's name is Ron Blue, and he gives a ton of insight into this, gives you biblical principles that you can follow, all about how to spend your money and how to use it wisely. And so some of the things that came out of this book that I thought was actually very helpful is just giving us perspective on just the financial world. So here's the five categories that he kind of puts in. He puts them into steps. These five areas represent where anybody in this world can be. So if you look at it, the first one is struggling. Some of us have probably experienced this. Some of us are probably there right now. It's where we cannot afford things. We, can't least, we cannot pay the bills. We don't have enough money to put savings in. We don't have anything. And we're not even making ends meet. Bills aren't getting paid. Things aren't happening. And we are just struggling with our finances. The next step up is surviving. Now, surviving is a little bit better, but it's paycheck to paycheck. And if anything were to fall apart... We're, we're hurting. We're just making ends meet. We're barely surviving. But then you've got stable. Stable is where you're starting to, hey, I'm starting to save some stuff. This is good. But if anything major were to happen, if you were to lose your job or if you were to, your furnace or car break down, you don't have that kind of savings to make it happen and, and be okay. But then you've got secure. Secure is where you've kind of gone, all right, We've got, you know, this three to six months, this emergency fund. We're doing well. We are good. And you even feel secure. There's peace. There's not as much worry. And, and then you've got surplus, which money just keeps coming to you, which we all wish that was a problem. Like, it just keeps coming. And I don't know what to do with it. You know, that kind of moment. Yeah. And, and most of us, here's the reality. Most of us will probably never reach that phase. Very few get to experience that. But the critical part to think about this is sometimes we want to go, okay, I'm struggling or I'm surviving. I need to get the surplus. That's what's going to solve my problems. No. The key is focusing on the next step and going, okay, I need to move from here to here, here to here. Because the reality is life circumstances can happen like that, and you can move on this real quickly. You may go from secure down to surviving you may go down from secure down to stable on some levels, but you can also jump up as well. And so what we need to do is be prepared, have wisdom of how to go. How do you move from one step to the next? How do you deal when things throw you curveballs? Life doesn't go the way you think. So that way we can keep moving up here. And so the key to that are these biblical principles that the book mentions. So look at these five biblical principles. Spend less than you earn. Avoid unnecessary debt, build margin, set long-term goals, and give generously. This isn't rocket science. Many of you would be like, yep, heard those, and I'm trying, okay? 
trying my best on this. But here's what I've noticed. When I even heard these principles, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. And it's stuff that I've heard. I've, even studying for this sermon, other financial gurus say the same thing, just like Ron Blue does. They all say the same thing. You've got to follow these kind of principles. But our problem doesn't seem to be with knowledge. It seems like we know the things to do, the right steps to take. Not all of us, but most of us have probably heard something along these lines. Oh, yeah, I should probably do that. See, the problem is usually our emotions. And here's what I want you to realize. We will never be able to master our money if we can't master our emotions. If we can't handle the feelings that we have and navigate how to make the tough decisions in moments, then our money will always be a problem in our lives. So I wanted to give you four emotions that I think is critical to being able to master your money, but also being like, if I can master these, master these emotions, that would be awesome. So the first one is this. Be content. This one's hard. Just be honest. I mean, you heard it with me. Like, I wasn't content any longer with the house I was in. It's like, this house is too small. I can't believe this. You start looking at everything. Everything's bad. Like, when you're not content, you can tell your car is breaking. This car is stupid. I hate this car. It's always leaking oil, never gets me anywhere. You're like, you start making statements that don't even make sense. This car's done. Can't even, oh. we just start losing it on some levels. Because circumstances have happened, things have happened, and then we go, I'm not content anymore. Or there could be some things that's just like, I'm all, if I'm secret about it, I, I always want more. I always want the best. And being content is hard. But we also know if we are content, you look at those principles. The only way to spend less than you earn is being content. The only way to avoid unnecessary debt is to be content. Because like I said, if I would have taken that house or that new house, I would have strapped ourselves. It would have been financially a bad decision. Yeah, the bank would have said, yes, you can afford this. But God would have been like, what are you doing? You now have limited yourself to being able to do things that maybe you want to do as a family, vacation may go, but also just your ability to help other people. You just limited that, all because of an emotional decision. And so learning to be content is huge. The other one, delayed gratification. Once again, I mean, this is, <clears throat> take this even out of finances. You go into, like, dieting, okay, or just trying to get healthy, you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. But then you know your cheat day is like two or three days away. But then your friends all order pizza. Or your family's like, let's go get ice cream. And you're like, that sounds really good right now. <laughs> and it's Wednesday and my cheat day is Friday. I could change it. I could change it to Wednesday and then Friday will not be my cheat day, Wednesday will be my cheat day. And then you know what happens. Friday also becomes your cheat day. And you got two cheat days. You know it happens, right? I get two cheat days, all right? But we do this with finances, too. We take a, a moment that we're just like, the car. This car's stupid. I hate this car. I'm buying a new one right now. I'm going to the store. I'm going to get one. Car shop, that's the one I want. That's new. That's it. They, and then you're not even looking at what the price is. Not even looking. And you just go crazy. 
Reality is, though, if we delay gratification, we all know it's worth it. There will be no regrets. And you'll be able to look at this and go, I made the right decision. It was hard. It wasn't easy. But I delayed it. The other one is this, being a joyful giver. One of the uh, principles was giving generously. I know this one is something I think naturally we like to do. We like to give. We like to help other people. But it's hard when it becomes more of a sacrifice. It's hard when it's like, man, money's already tight and God wants 10% or, man, this family member needs some help and I feel like I should do it, but I don't know. And then trying to be joyful in that moment, it's like, here you go, I'm happy for you. You know, that kind of moment. And so I've even had a tough time sometimes looking at taxes and being like, hey, all right, this is how much I've given. I'm like, all right. But then the other side starts to kick in, which is healthy. Where God reminds me, but look what that money is going towards. Look what's happening because of this. Your willingness to sacrifice is benefiting the people around you. Your willingness to help people when, in their time of need, whether it's meals or whatever the case may be. And learning to see joy in that. And being able to do that is just a joyful moment. And then the last one, peace and uncertainty. Because the truth about our world is simply this, is that there will always be constant uncertainty. Our world will always have its moments where it's just not going smoothly, it's not going well. Uh, You know, you never know when an economic crisis is going to hit. But the beautiful part is, is if we follow these principles and trust that God owns everything and that he will be there with us, that's the beautiful part. He has sustained humanity so far. I don't think he's going to let us down now. And he will keep sustaining us. He will keep being there for us. And so that's why we can have peace and uncertainty. And we can have these emotions that people look and go, how are you able to do this? And you're learning, I'm learning to master my emotions because God is helping me. I'm learning to be content in moments I didn't used to be content. I'm learning to delay gratification when it's really hard. I'm learning to be joyful when I give. And I'm learning to have peace even when things seem to be falling apart. Things that I can't control. So those are the emotion parts to this. But now I want to get, because some of you are probably like me and you're thinking, like, but how? Emotions are great. I'll deal with that later. But how? (laughs) Right? The application piece. So let's go back to those principles. Because to me, they're five, and I'm going, I just like to make it simpler. I like to get it down to three. And so there's a plan that I've heard that I've even implemented in my own life that has just been helpful for me to where I can put these in categories. So here's the plan. It's called 10-10-80 plan. 10% you give. 10% you save. 80% is lifestyle. And so to help us with this, this is where the Skittles came in. You've probably been sitting here the whole time. Some of you didn't delay gratification and ate them all already. I know some of you did. That's so true, all right? Or some of you were sitting there like, how did he know? I've been struggling with that. But I want you to just grab that bag. Because here's the thing I want you to be thinking about. Think about that moment where you, maybe you were the parent or maybe you were the kid, and you went to the movies, you went to whatever, ball game, whatever the case may be, where they were selling candy, and this parent, you maybe were the parent, 
Botch bought this snack for the kid. The kid didn't do anything to earn it. But it's this moment where you've given something that money that you've earned, resources from you, you give it to them. And then there's that moment you're like, man, I'm actually, I'm wanting something sugary. And you look at the kid and be like, hey, can I have one? Mixed bag of answers usually come out of that. Most of them consist of a selfish answer of, no, that's mine, or no, don't touch it. I've got three young kids. That's usually what happens. And so I want us to be thinking about this because think about this in regards to what God does for us. He gives us things that we don't deserve. You all walked in here and got a bag of Skittles. You didn't do anything special today. You were just awesome people, and I wanted to say you're awesome. Okay, that's it. You didn't do anything. And so God's just going, I want you to steward this well. And so this, I go, all right, so then we take the Skittles, if I can open them. Hold on now. And we've got these three cups over here where you can start kind of going, okay, this 10-10-80 plan, someday, there you go, starts to play out to where you go, all right, I've got 100 Skittles in here. So 10 of them would go into give. 10 of them go into savings. Lifestyle. Now, go back to that kid and the parent. I'm not expecting my daughter to be like, hey, you know what? All right, here's one for God. Here's one for savings. I'm going to save that later. And then here's one for, you know, like, no. But what I do want, the heartbeat of it, is if I were to ask, she would be grateful. And she would have that heart. And so what I think this does is that with our resources, the money God has given us, this sets us up to go, God, thank you. I have a plan. I want to be a good steward of it. I want to honor you with it. Thank you for the Skittles. They taste amazing. So I want to look at some of these and just start to kind of walk through a little bit of the lifestyle, the savings, the giving. So let's talk through lifestyle a little bit. This is where these two principles come into play. Spend less than you earn. Avoid unnecessary debt. Do you realize the Bible gives wisdom to this as well? Look at this in Proverbs. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Yeah, it happens. We probably have done that before. And then in Romans, this, per, this verse, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. See, I look at this, and lifestyle is, this is where you make your choices of how you want to live your life, what you will spend your money on, house, car, whatever the case may be, how you want to live it. But these decisions play into some of the other buckets as well, the other cups. And so God is going, hey, I want to teach you some principles with this. Because here's the reality, those percentages, don't get too stuck on them. What if you could learn to live on less than 80%? Live on 70, live on 60, live on 50. And it keeps dropping down and you're able to give more and to save more and be able to do, have more freedom with what God has given you. Because I think that's what he wants for us. I know for me, my wife and I had to learn this lesson early. Because we started off life, a married couple, with a bunch of school debt. And we were like, okay, we've got to figure out a way to pay this off. 
And so we kind of leaned into God and was like, God, what, how do we do this? And so one of the things we started doing, you may have heard of this system before, we call it the envelope system. To where the only thing that we did is like we took out cash, put it all in these envelopes to make sure that our lifestyle stayed where it needed to. Did we like that system? No, I hated it. It was miserable. Now, my wife had a whole organizer of envelopes, and she's like, oh, this is fantastic. This is great. I'm sitting here going, <laughs> I remember I lost half my envelopes. It had cash in it. I'm like, this is not great. Eventually, I was like, give me one envelope with all the money, all right? And then if I, go, if I spend it all, I know I'm done for the month. I got it, okay? But it was, here's what we learned in that moment. If we challenge ourselves to live a lifestyle just like this and go, okay, we're going to break this down. We're going to do this. What we were able to do was knock out that student debt very quickly. In four years, we were able to knock it out. And then we were like, okay, we're at a spot to where we can start affording a house. That's what we wanted. We dreamed about. We were tired of renting. And so we were able to do that. And then it kind of put into other things. We didn't want to go into car debt. So we kept saving because our lifestyle, we kept going, okay, let's spend less and spend less. Let's avoid the unnecessary debt because our cars were so old when we were first married, like 10 years old. But they got from A to B and that's all that mattered. And we both made a decision like we don't want to take on debt to pay for a car. And so that was a lifestyle choice. And I don't know what lifestyle choices you may need to make, but start thinking through that and going, what is the areas that I may need to cut or change or do whatever so that my lifestyle is an honor to God and how I spend my money? But now let's look at savings. This is where you start to build margin. This is where you start to set long-term goals. This is where the delayed gratification really comes into play because you've got to have a plan got to set goals. And so here's what Proverbs says. Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. The reality to building wealth and building resources, all that kind of stuff, is it's a slow process. You're not going to do it overnight. There is no get-rich schemes at all with God. He goes, I want you to be good stewards. I want you to learn how to save and to build and to set long-term goals. I know for me, with doing premarital counseling with a bunch of couples, every time the finance conversation comes up, it's like deer in headlights. They're like, what? Because I'm like, hey, do you guys have a budget? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have it written down? No, 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 no. So it's all in your head. And usually one of them has it in their head, and the other one's like, I just, I think we'll have enough. But that's usually how the plan goes. Is like, hey, we got two incomes now. This will be great. It will work out. But as I start talking to the couple, things start to click. They're like, oh, we need to write this down. We need to, even if you have extra money at the end, knowing what to do with it, telling your money where to go, instead of your money saying, hey, we had $300. I don't know where it went at the end of the month. And so to me, that's where savings come in, having a plan and building this to where you have these goals that you're able to accomplish together. I know for Tina and I, one of the special things was being able to see this plan come to fruition. Where we built, like, hey, we're going to build some uh, three to six months emergency savings. Initially, I was like, how in the world are we going to do that? That's no, there's no way. And then knocking out debt. And then being able to, hey, we can afford this without going into debt. Those things became reality. And what it did is it built trust for us in our marriage. Like, we can do this together. This is awesome. It became exciting. And so to me, the whole part, the important part, 
of savings is, yes, you need a budget, you need a, it's long-term goals, you need those kind of things, but it's the process of getting there. Because the first time you do your budget, I guarantee you it will be wrong. It was for us. We forgot Christmas gifts. We forgot all these kind of things on it. And it's like, how did, oh, and now it's pretty accurate. That's 10 years later. But the special part was being able to process this with God and including him in on the conversation. Because if you want your budget, if you want the savings, if you want these things to go well, the key to being a good steward is, look at this, the key to being a good steward is seeking and implementing God's wisdom. He, want, he has a plan for you. He has these things that you can start doing now. It's just a matter of, will we listen to it? And then the last one, give generously. This is always, I know, the tough one to talk about because it doesn't really make sense. We're like, why? God, you own it all. You don't need our money. Why do we need to give? I think if we think back to this and the fact that, you know, we don't own all this. So maybe giving has more to do with our relationship than it has to do with the amount or the action of it. It has to do with just trusting each other. Here's what God talked about to the Israelite nation who was doing something where they weren't being generous. They weren't giving. So he called them out on it. Look at this in the Bible. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. You catch that? He's saying, you are cheating me. Oh, I give you all of this. All I ask is for you to give this. And you may go, why? Why does, why does God do that? Well, here's what was going on in this community. When they gave, when they gave to the church, or they gave, this is what it did. It took care of the needs of the poor, of the hurting. Because that community needed that. On top of that, it took care of the, the pastors at that time being able to have flocks and being able to have just the lifestyle because their job like, they didn't have money to pay them. They paid them in, hey, here's some livestock. Here's, here's the abundance of my grain that I had. So that they had something to eat. They could take care of their family. So that's why God's going, don't cheat me in this because there are other people who need this. I gave you all this. I want to take care of the whole community. I want to take care of everyone. And here's a big thought for me. What if God has put us in America where there is abundance, where there is a lot? Because he's looking at all of us and going, I want to trust you. I, want, I believe you can be good stewards. And America could be a huge, huge help to the whole world, helping all the poor, helping all the communities that are in, in need, helping each other. Maybe that's why he's given us abundance. Because the crazy thing is that America is one of the most wealthiest nations that have ever existed. But do you realize that we are also the most unhappy? So to me, giving may have a bigger piece of this than we realize. I noticed for me, one thing I noticed when I went on a missions trip a year ago, I, I took a bunch of students to the Philippines with Trash Mountain. One of the things that stood out to us is that you go into these villages and by American standards, they have nothing. But we all stood there just in awe of how happy they were. 
And we're saying, how are you happy? And so I go, what is maybe corrupted or wrong with us that all we see is like, how do you not have this? Instead of learning, maybe happiness isn't about what you have. It's bigger than this. I think that's why God is so diligent about, hey, watch this. Be careful with this. Jesus took it even a step further. I bring back that Luke 9, 16. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to eternal home. What if we had this perspective? Said so everything that God's given us, I want to use to benefit others and help others and do what God wants me to do with it. I think there's two things that happen when we start to give. When we give, we break the strongholds of money. We'll never let money, if we focus on giving, money will never be able to master us because we have the right mindset on it. And the other thing is this, giving has nothing to do with income. It doesn't. Giving generously has nothing to do with income. It has everything to do with the heart. God is looking at us and going, hey, I want you to realize I gave you all this. And the reason I want you to give, the reason I want you to save, the reason I want you to have this lifestyle and put it this way is so that you and I can have a healthy relationship. We trust each other with this. But then you also don't let money master your life ever. And you have control over it. You are mastering it. Now, here's the one thing I want you to realize. I, we can't solve all of our money problems <laughs> in one sermon. This has to be an ongoing thing where we are constantly going, okay, God, what can I do? What steps do I need to take? Am I leading this in the right way? And so one of the things that I'm excited about that we're doing as a church is we want to keep this conversation going. So we're doing a money workshop where we want to help in any way that we can because we understand this is hard for us as a staff, as a church, and we want to help anybody who's going, I need help. And we'll go into depth about debt and savings and how to navigate all this and giving, all those kind of things. So you go, I want to do this well. I want to honor God. And there's times on it you can check it all out. It will be Monday, July 30th. And as a church, we'll kind of keep these things coming to where we are growing, we are getting better, and we, here's the goal, we have healthy relationships with God and we're able to help the people around us with the resources that God has blessed us with. To me, that is the power of this whole conversation. The whole reason God gave us the ability to have things and work for things and have resources and money is because God goes, I want to have this relationship where we learn to trust each other and go on this journey together, where we accomplish things together. And it's exciting. Yes, it may be difficult moments, but then you'll be able to look back and look what God has done throughout all of this. He has been a sustainer. And on top of that, I was able to help this person. I was able to help this. Our church is doing this. And I was a part of that. I sacrificed to make that happen. And it changes the whole conversation of money. Where it's not this complicated thing anymore. And it stresses us out and it worries us. It's actually just a simple conversation. Where we go, God, thank you. So here's the question I want to stand with. Is are you going to master your money? Will you take this challenge? Will you join me in this? So that we can learn to do things the way God wants us to. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for being a God that gives us these opportunities, for being a God that will be there and walk through this with us. Lord, I pray that money will not be this 
conversation we tiptoe around anymore. Just, we don't want to talk about it. God, it may be something that we're willing to go, God, I want to do it your way. I recognize that you own everything. I recognize that every decision I make is a spiritual decision because you are in charge of this whole world. And so, Lord, may we learn to have a relationship with you that teaches us how to trust that you are a provider, that teaches us that you will be there, you will sustain us through everything, and that that will in turn help us to be able to have peace instead of worry, be able to have joy instead of being unhappy. And God, that's what I want for all of us, to be able to experience those things and recognize that money is just this ability to do the things that I believe you want us to do. It's another resource we get to use. Just like the time you've given us, just like the skills you've given us, money is another one of those things that can impact the people around us. And so, Lord, may we learn to simplify it, and may we learn to see it the way you see it. We love you, Lord. We give all this to you. Amen.